Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day and we thank you for each one that has made the effort to brave the elements to be with us. Lord, we just ask now that you would take each one of us here, that you would allow us to work together to sing these songs. Lord, I pray that during the preaching time I would get out of the way and preach the words that you would have to say. Lord, I pray that during the invitation time not a one of us would say no to Jesus today. We ask that you would use this time on this morning to gather worship to your most wonderful name and that you would use us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First John chapter 1, and we'll be starting there this morning. I want to preach on the topic of what your salvation gives. So often we <clears throat> spend time, and rightly so, dealing with issues that need to uh, be addressed. If you are going to be saved... You've got to deal with the issue of your personal sin. And so oftentimes uh, people will get caught up in this. And, and I've had many discussions over the years. Uh, someone said, I, I just can't be a Christian. The path is too straight. The path is too narrow. I, I'd have to give up too many things. But uh, let me ask you a question this morning. If you've given up your sin and trusted Jesus Christ, have you ever regretted that? Hmm? No. There's no regret in giving up your sin. I've had many discussions over the years and people said, well, if, if I get saved, I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to pray and, and people are going to hear me and, and I'm afraid to, uh, to pray in public in front of anybody and, uh, and I, I just don't know about this. And... But how many of you have gone to the Lord in prayer when you had a deep pressing burden and gotten the answer that only God can give through prayer? Amen. If I really get saved then I'm going to have to go to church all the time. I don't want to go to church all the time. Uh, that's, that's too much. I'm too busy. But let me ask you a question. If you've been saved and enjoyed the fellowship of the local church, I'll tell you what, we have something here you just can't get anywhere else. Amen? How about... And, and we've actually had people... I can think of names. I'm not going to name them this morning. Of, of, of people said, I'm not going to church because you talk about money. I said, well, you're not listening because we don't talk much about money at this church. Other than uh, the missions offering, we do talk about that. And, and uh, we do uh, have business meetings from time to time to approve purchases and things because we've got to be very careful. It, it is not my money that I am spending. It is yours. And we have to decide that and, and how we're going to do that. But I can't remember the last time, other than during the missions conference, I've ever preached a whole sermon about taking the offering. But how many of you have received more from the Lord than you've given? Amen. 
And, well, well I don't want to preach the whole sermon. Uh, but we have a tendency to look at our salvation backwards. We talk about fighting with sin, and if you're living with the Lord Jesus Christ, you've, you've got to struggle against sin every day. Because if you're not struggling against sin, it means that you are giving in and sinning. And that's not a good thing. Uh, we were driving uh, many miles this week. And uh, as I was just staring out the window, well, praise the Lord, Brother Davis and Brother Saravia were helping with the driving, so I wasn't the only one driving. Uh, that was nice. And I was just staring out the window, and I saw a strange little bumper sticker. It said, Got Purpose. And, uh, and I began to think about that. How many people have no purpose at all? But yet, how many people who come to church are afraid to surrender the purpose and direction of their life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet, won't you do that? What a blessing it is to live his purpose instead of mine. Amen? Can you say amen to that? And I've preached on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and... and uh, and we've spent a lot of time in, on, on that subject because it's dealt with much in Scripture. And if you go through the discipleship, we spend a whole lesson on just that subject. And so oftentimes, we look at the coming of the Lord and we say, Boy, maybe He'll come today. And, and it's a fearful thing. Ought not be fearful. It's the blessed hope of the believer. And I just want to look at salvation this morning the opposite way that most of us do. We, we as human beings sing in a minor key. We accentuate the negative. That's why Norman Vincent Peale's positive thinking was such a, uh, a uh, whatever a fad it was in his day was because as our human nature is, we, we always tend toward the negative side of things. But I'd like for us just to look at the wonderful things that salvation offers. And I want us to start in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 10. It says, If we say we have fellowship with him, if you have fellowship with Jesus, you are saved. And walk in darkness, we lie and do not do truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. The greatest gift 
that God's salvation gives us is freedom from our sin, its penalty, and guilt. How much money was spent last week in New York City in offices of psychologists and psychiatrists trying to get rid of bad feelings that are in people's hearts? You ever wonder about that? I mean, a whole lot more money than we, spent, than we raised at Heartland in the whole meeting for church planning in the United States. And I'll tell you what, it was the greatest meeting uh, conference that we've ever had there in Heartland. And it was a wonderful time. And, and, uh, and I just want to, uh, again, thank the church for letting me represent our church there. It was just read the list of the people that we helped. Uh, someone said, Pastor, you spent more money than you said you would. Uh, well, actually, while I was there at the conference, we had another $1,000 designated. Uh, people contacted me, and, and we were able to give that away very quickly. And uh, then we took some money from the Never the Same Fund, which is just a, a missionary fund that comes from the publishing of music. And uh, we were able to make a gift to the dozen or so preachers that did not get to actually present needs. Uh, I, I wish I could pack up our whole church and just take you there for those days of that conference. It, it's unlike anything you've ever seen before. Uh, how many of you remember Brother Asa Samples? Remember praying for him? He was at the meeting. He was the one that uh, two years ago, December 24th, he went out to get some flour and eggs for Christmas uh, actually ended up running over a man and killing him. He was arrested, spent Christmas Eve in prison. Uh, it took 18 months. The district attorney and the sheriff were trying to put this man in prison for murder when the town drunk was wandering across the highway late at night after dark and was an accident in every thing. It took... $24,000 in legal fees to solve that problem. The pastors raised the last $12,000 of his legal fees at the meeting. Brother Asa is a free man <laughs> in every sense of the word. And I'll tell you, the place came unglued when, uh, when, when that happened. And it was just different preachers. You look on the list, we only gave $100 toward that gift. I mean, toward that uh, goal, but that was all that was needed. And, uh, and I mean, it was just an incredible time. But people are consumed by thoughts of their own sin and guilt. We read this verse, what does it say? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, if you're clean, do you have to worry about it anymore? We worry about things over and over again, but the salvation that God gives us cleanses us from all sin. You say, well, why is verse 9 in there then that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, it's, it's very simple. God has given us a mechanism to deal with our sins after we are saved. 
How many of you have done something? Not necessarily this week, but I mean, since you've been saved, since you put your trust in Jesus Christ, how many of you have done something that just consumed your thoughts in your life and you say, I'm a Christian, how could I do such a stupid, horrible, wicked thing? Will you just lift a hand up to a testimony? I mean, let's be honest. You can't be honest at church. You can't be honest anywhere. My hand's up. You know where I go? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Not most. Not 99%. It says all unrighteousness. Can you get a hold of that? If you will trust your soul to Jesus Christ, if you'll get saved, He cleanses you from every sin that you ever have or ever will sin. That's why you can't lose your salvation once you get it. Is because Jesus paid for every sin on the cross before you were even born. You say, well, what if I forget something? It doesn't say, it says if we'll confess what we know, he'll cleanse us from all. Amen. By the way, this is just an aside, a fruit, an extra. How many of you have ever had someone sin against you and hurt you very deeply? Guess what? This forgiveness that Jesus gives you is the basis so that you can rid your soul of bitterness or hurt toward another person. I don't forgive another human being because I want to. I forgive another human being based upon the payment that Jesus Christ made. There is no forgiveness without payment. People say, well, if I just forgive them, they'll get away with it. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no forgiveness without payment, my friends. But Jesus paid for every sin. And I don't need to carry around somebody else's sin even though it was against me and even though it hurt me because Jesus paid for it all. Amen? I mean, you talk about the fringe benefits of salvation. If God did not forgive every sin, He couldn't let you into heaven, my friend. And He doesn't depend upon your memory. He depends upon His. And let me tell you something. God... Now, this will sound a little strange, but you've got to think about it. God doesn't have a memory. He knows everything, present tense. How many of you have tried to remember something? I do that more and more as I get older and older. Oh, come on. I know that name. I know that name. I remember. Where is it? On the tip of my tongue. I just can't spit it out. Oh, there it is. I remember. God doesn't do that. He knows everything. And when I mean he knows everything, he knows everything. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't have to stop and go through the files in his mind. Everything is right there. 
And yet, He forgives us. And He loves us. And He knows what the future holds for us. And He knows every mistake we're going to make this week and ten years from now if we're still alive and Jesus hasn't come back. A hundred years from now, if we're still alive and Jesus hasn't come back, uh, that's not very likely, but if you're still here, God knows every sin you're going to sin all that time. And yet He still saved you. He still forgave you. And He takes away the guilt if you'll just let Him do it. Don't let the devil send you to the graveyard of past sins. Jesus paid for them all. If this truth could be known and understood, we could empty every psychiatric ward in New York City. Isn't that true? But the truth is, people will not come to Jesus to get saved. And if they won't get saved, they can't understand the forgiveness of sins, and without that, you've, you've got to do something to keep people from hurting themselves and others. And that's why we have this entire system of psychiatric medicine is to help people who cannot help themselves. But if you'll come to Jesus, he'll forgive you. He'll remove the guilt the doubt, the fear. And he'll even give you the basis of dealing with people who have hurt you. Don't carry their sin with you, please. It'll only hurt you. Amen? But in Jesus, he's forgiven us. That's just one of the benefits. That's just one of the things that Jesus gives us when you surrender your life and your soul to Him and ask Him to save you, if that was the only thing that Jesus did, it would be well worth it to get saved, wouldn't it? But that's not the only thing. That's just, what, that's just the beginning. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. How many times have we faced issues, especially at work and things where if we could only talk to the boss for a few minutes, we know we could solve the whole problem, but you just cannot get access. Have you ever had that happen? You just can't speak to the person who can solve the problem. Has that ever happened? I mean, it happens a lot, doesn't it? One of the things that God gives us in salvation is access. Not to people here on earth, but to God Himself. Look, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Let's read verses 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore 
come boldly unto the throne of grace. Excuse me, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's read verse 16 again. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's not a one of us in this room that has not been in a time of need. And the last place we go is the first place we ought to go. You didn't get saved on your own. Don't try to solve your problems on your own. Let God deal with it His way. That's what our salvation is for. Amen? Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. People said, oh, God's just too busy. No, He's not. In fact, He's the only one who can truly and purposefully do more than one thing at one time. How many of you have ever tried multitasking? I mean, we all love, I mean, just love to do more than one thing at a time. It just seems to, to, to give us a greater sense of accomplishment. But here's what the truth is. If you are doing more than one thing at a time, you are doing both things with less efficiency, less carefulness, and less good things, just sum it up like that, than if you were to do both of those things separately. As human beings, we can't do more than one thing at a time. We try. We like to think, you know, as we're talking on the phone and, and, and uh, studying for the test and watching a movie and all of these things. I mean, hey, listen. You're not, you're not doing anything as well as you could if you just did it one at a time. But here's what God says. You come boldly. You have a right to come. You know, here's one of the problems, and we're not just trying to, to, to kick other religions, but you stop and think about this whole idea of religions that have built up saints and different things that we pray to. If you have a million people praying to one saint in a given 24-hour time period, which very easily could occur, what, what in the world does that poor saint do with a million prayers? But could God handle a million prayers at the same time? Could he handle a hundred million prayers at the same time? God never forgets anything. I mean, it's all connected. He can do the whole thing all by himself. He doesn't need any help. In fact, it's an absolute silly, silly thing to say, let me help God. God doesn't want you to help him. He wants to help you. And when you get saved, he has given you direct Access to the throne room of Almighty God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God never takes a break. He doesn't need to because he's God. Amen. He never runs out. 
He's always there and always wanting to work. In fact, God cannot want anything less than what is best. That's part of being God. How many of you have wanted the wrong thing? Hmm? All of us have, haven't we? I mean, all of us have desired things that if God had given them to us, would have hurt us in a major way. All of us have done things. Oh, this is going to be so good. I mean, once we get this done, it's going to really solve a lot of problems and we just made a whole lot more. You come to God, He'll save you from yourself. Amen? You say, but pastor, you don't understand. I just got this burning desire in my heart to, to do something. Well, you bring it to God and he'll change that to fit with his will. Amen? That, that's what coming to God's throne is all about. The power of prayer. God does not answer your prayers because you've convinced him that he should do what you want. That's blasphemous, my friend. God answers your prayers because you've come to the throne room of God and had enough of his influence in your life to change what you wanted to match up with him. Amen? The removal of guilt, the separation of us from our sin, God gives that to us the moment we trust him. He gives us access to his very person 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and throughout all eternity. In fact, eternity, we're going to behold him with our eyes. And sing to him. Let me tell you, you won't sing halfway when you get to heaven. Let me tell you, you're going to sing all the way. I love to sing. The only problem is when I sing too loud, I get a sore throat. So I have to hold back a little bit. But you wait till I get to heaven. I'm not holding back at all. I mean, I'm just going to sing it out and, and, uh, and sing louder and it'll be in tune in heaven. Not uh, Here on earth, it gets there sometimes. Uh, always just a little twitch off. But in heaven, it'll be just right. Amen? Because I'm going to see him as he is. I'm not going to be worried about anything else. Sometimes the troubles and the struggles of this life, if you just go and sit in the throne room of God for just a little bit, it'll change your perspective on life, wouldn't it? Amen? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. As I said, we often look at these things backwards. We, we look at this struggle with sin and we get all depressed and worried and we, we talk about, hey, look at it as if Jesus has forgiven you from all sin. That's what it's all about. We talk about prayer and I'll tell you, real prayer is real work. But if you understand that you can have direct access to the throne room of God, the real work is getting me and my desires out of the way so His can have sway in my heart and life. I'll tell you, prayer becomes a joy and a blessing because we're actually praying for the things the way God wants. 
And, and we come here to Romans chapter 12. Let's read verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Can I tell you about the privilege of belonging to Jesus' church? That happens after you get saved. You can't belong to Jesus' church until you're saved. And this is one of the ways you can tell the difference between a real church and a fake church. An imitation church will tell you, you come and you be a part of our church, and someday, maybe, if you're good enough, you can get to heaven. The real church of Jesus Christ says, listen, unless you've come to Jesus Christ and gotten His salvation and know 100% sure heaven is your home, you have nothing to do. You have no part in the local church. You've got to get salvation settled first. The church is not for unsaved people. It's for after salvation. It's not a club. It, we're not here just looking for people to join our church and add to our numbers so that we can go and say, look how many people we got. You know what? Nobody cares how many people are in this building on Sunday. I mean, the Lord cares, but you think the New York Times is going to send a reporter to find out how many people were at Open Door Bible Baptist Church in Astoria, Queens on Sunday morning reported in the paper? Not unless they're writing a negative article and they just want to slam anybody that goes to church. I mean, it's not important to the world. But what a privilege it is to work together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week is our annual business meeting. And we're going to go over the blessings that God has blessed our church with in this past year. It has been the best year in the history of our church. There's nothing that compares with it. Now, does that mean 2009 is going to be better? No, it does not. But we're going to enjoy the blessings God's given us this year. And I'll tell you, you look out over our congregation... We don't have any millionaires attending Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We don't have big bank accounts and, and a denominational headquarters sending us. And what happens here happens here because individuals do their part. And I'll tell you, it was, it was just, my heart is full to overflowing for what our church was able to do for other church planners and other works uh, it wasn't that many years ago, 10 years ago, we were at these meetings asking other churches to help us. Now we're able to go and we're, I'll tell you what, our church did not to blow our own horn. God did this, but we were doing more than many churches, five and ten times our size. You know why? Because people had a heart to do their part. Not trying to rhyme, just... We desired to serve God together. We weren't worried about doing some big thing 
Everybody did a little, and I'll tell you, some big things happened. Amen? That's part of the privilege. We have fellowship. Somebody said, what does that word mean? Well, uh, in Baptist circles, it usually means food, all right? But the best way to define fellowship is to do a play on the word itself, fellows in the ship. You're in the place together. That's, that's what fellowship is. It's being together. It's sharing common goals. It's being able to encourage one another. How many of you got up this morning and looked outside and said, oh, no. It's snowing. It's cold. I just want to stay in bed. Now, be honest. How many of you did that this morning? I'm almost everybody here. Myself included. But I'll tell you what. How many of you are glad you're here now? How many of you have been encouraged? Uplifted? And we're not done yet. I mean, that's what fellowship is. You get it here in the local church better than you can get it anywhere else in the world. I don't know how many people have said over the years, our, our church is like a family. Yeah, it, well, it's actually a little closer than that. The Bible says we're the body of Jesus Christ. We're members one of another. I need you. You need me. You need the person sitting beside you. You need the person sitting across from you. We need each other to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole world's looking for a place to fit in. Let me tell you, I don't fit in out there. I sure do here. This is where I belong. This is my sense of being an accomplishment. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing they have out there that comes close to what goes on in here. It's the local church. This is where you're going to learn about the Word of God. But it's a lot different here than it is at other churches. And the reason why is because I am preaching the Word of God and I tried to help you see and understand. But let me tell you, if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, you've been baptized, you're a member of this church, you've got a responsibility as a believer in Christ to go home and look in this book and make sure what was preached here is what is in here. Amen? And then we work together to live out the words of this book in the Bible. I mean, there are people that are trying to live all kinds of books. Does anybody remember? I'm okay. You're okay. Anybody remember that stupid book? Huh? It was big news when it was published in the 60s. I mean, oh, or early 70s. When I, don't, I don't look up publication dates. It's, listen, 
That was supposed to solve all the world's problems. No book is going to solve all the world's problems. Jesus is. And I'm just going to stay in his book until he solves all the world's problems. Amen? And I'm going to be there and I'm going to watch it happen. I'll tell you, there's no place you can go and get prayer for you like you can right here among our members of the local church. By the way, Brother Ferran, how many of you remember him, our former missionary to Sri Lanka? Just last week, just last week, his wife got a clean bill of health from the doctors. They had diagnosed her with pancreatic cancer. They said, this problem is here and this problem is here. And if it isn't this, it's going to be this. And I mean, they, this has been going on for the better part of a year. And the doctor said, we don't understand it. The tumor markers are gone. Uh, the blood tests are clear. Uh, everything is good. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong. Now, there was something definitely wrong back then. But I'll tell you what, I, I think God healed Mrs. Fran. Doctor can't explain it, so why not give God credit for it? Amen. Where can you get prayer like you can right here? Oh, I call 1-800-PRAYER, and they pray for me. I can't remember which goofball it was on television, uh, but he claimed that he had gotten blood poisoning from holding all the prayer requests that were sent to him. The ink on the pages had leaked through his skin and poisoned his blood, and he was almost dead praying for all these people actually made this claim. Well, some news reporter decided to check this out. And you know where he found all the prayer requests from so-and-so's ministry? In the trash can out back. But you see, if I bring a burden in prayer here and ask you to pray about it, guess what? I know people in this room are going to pray. People who have already given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. People who have surrendered. People who are not worrying about their sin because Jesus already took care of it. Amen? People who know how to pray because God's given them access through the blood of Jesus directly to God the Father. And they're not afraid to ask God anything. And we come together as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ, and we pray about things. And God has done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. But prayer meeting on Sunday night is the worst attended service of the week. Because you've got to work. But what a privilege it is to be in this thing called the local church. What a wonder to just serve God. We're members one of another. We're closer here than family. Let's enjoy what God's given us. Amen? And if somebody gets on your nerves, ask God to fix your nerves. Amen? And He will.
Let's love him together. What a privilege. But let me tell you, the local church is not for those who are unsaved. You got to get saved first. You say, how do I do that? It's real simple. Just give your life to Jesus Christ. God be merciful to me, a sinner. You've got to give your life to him. He is the only Lord and he's the Savior. You do that, he'll save you. He'll save you right here today. He'll save you before the service is over. And give you all these privileges. Let's see. Got time for three more? We'll try to hurry just a little bit. Get you out of here before one, all right? Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Uh, and we won't take time if you uh, hear one of the reasons why we tell the stories of the Bible in our Sunday school time is so that when we use them as illustration in the preaching time, we don't have to tell the whole story. This is the story of the rich young ruler. He had come to Jesus and he said, I want to go to heaven. And Jesus said, keep the Ten Commandments. He said, well, I've done that. What do I lack? Well, he knew he wasn't going to heaven. That's why he asked. You see, the best you can is not good enough, is it? And he said, if thou wilt be perfect, let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Mark chapter 10. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, somebody might just hear that verse read all by itself and say, what, do you tell me I have to give everything to the church to get saved? No. What Jesus was telling this man is there can be nothing in your life more important than me. And I know what's important in your life. It's your possessions. And if you don't turn loose of them, you'll never be able to grab a hold of me. Let me ask you, what's important in your life today? I hope it's not Wall Street. You're going to lose everything if Wall Street is your hope. It's not done yet. Every analyst that knows anything about anything says it's going to get worse, not better. And then they all say, well, it's going to get better eventually. Uh... You know what? There's an awful lot of people that have lost everything already. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. For people whose trust is in Wall Street, I'm not nervous about myself at all because I don't have anything over there. And I get so sick if I hear another gold commercial. I, I'm just going to bust the radio, I think. I am so tired. Gold has never been worth nothing. That's not true. That is not true. All of the gold in the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were turned into the deadliest poison known to mankind by the radioactivity of that bomb, those bombs that went off. In fact, if you had a gold watch that was in Hiroshima on the day they dropped the bomb, 
it would still kill you in a matter of hours to pick it up and hold it because of the radioactivity in that. Gold holds that stuff. Let me tell you, there's to be a time when your gold is going to be... You read in the Bible, it said it will eat you as a cancer. You put your trust in the things of this world. And I'll tell you, you're going to be disappointed every time. Does anybody remember what Mother Teresa said as she was dying? I don't believe I've done enough good works to earn my way to heaven. Let me tell you something. I'm never going to come close to the amount of good works that Mother Teresa did. It's just not possible. But you see, that's not what saves me. Jesus paid the price for all my sins. That's what saves me. All my life I've heard, if you'll take money and put it here or do this with it, you can be rich. I never did it. Guess what? I'm not rich. But what I have done is taken the little bits that I have and put it into God's work. You see men coming back to these meetings and said, God has planted a church in Grandview, Washington. And I'm having to work a job, but we got a good group of people and we're moving in the right direction. And I don't need support anymore. We're, we're standing on our own two feet. And within the next year or so, I'm going to be able to quit my job and go full time in the ministry. And thanks for helping us get started. What a blessing that is. Amen. And there are other pastors who, who, like myself, were at these meetings years ago saying, please help us. And now we're saying, how can we help you? I'll tell you, I like that investment a whole lot better. How about souls in Ivory Coast that have been won to the Lord? Can you get a better investment than that? The privilege of giving back to the Lord a little bit of what He has given me. Say, preacher, you don't you said you don't preach on money often. Well, we're going to mention a little bit today, all right? It's not often. But when you invest in God's work, guess what? You're laying up treasure in heaven. Amen. Secretary Paulson can't take it away. You know what the best thing is? The IRS can't tax it. Amen? I mean, if the IRS could tax your heavenly rewards, we'd all be bankrupt before we started. But they can't do it. I don't think they know how to get a hold of God over there at the IRS. Amen? He wouldn't pay the bill anyway. The privilege, the wonder. I can trust in the Lord. And let me tell you, bad economic times are coming. There's there's no way around it. But my trust is in the Lord who has provided all these years. He'll give us the grace to keep going. And when I get to heaven, 
the treasure that's up there is going to be worth any little hardship that was put up with here on earth. Amen? The wonder of investing in God's work. By the way, if you want to love the things of God and you want to know why I am so excited about uh, this missions conference that we had at Heartland, that's where my treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. How many of you just were thrilled with putting together those little John and Romans and shipping them to Ghana? You know why it's important? Because there's a little bit of our treasure there. Our church spent just a little over $1,000 getting those John and Romans to Ghana. That's not a lot. But I'll tell you, the joy is certainly worth more than that. Amen? We're going to do it again and again and again and again. Why? Because it's a privilege. It's an incredible thing to get rid of all my fears and doubts and wonders about the future and just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I can have confidence that I have done what God wants me to do when I put that little envelope in the week, in the offering every week. Just obeying the Bible. God just said 10%. I'm glad that he didn't say 90. He deserves 90, doesn't he? Just a little bit. And I'm obedient to the word of God. What a blessing it is. Just to obey God's word. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think I could preach till evening service tonight. But we'll be done on time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because that we, we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Purpose. The world's looking for purpose. The kids got these little audio stories. It's made up by, uh, excuse me, a creationist talking about some of the battles. And one of the questions that they worded skillfully into the story was, uh, a discussion was going on between these two scientists and this one scientist believed in global warming and all of this. And the little kid in the story asked the scientist, if you believe that it's your job to keep the world and the whole world could be destroyed if you don't do your job, that, that would be a heavy burden to bear, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, it is. How many people are out there trying to save the world? Let me ask you a question. Are they doing it? That would be a crushing burden to bear, to, to think that if I drive my big van, that I'm destroying the world in which I live. By the way, if you want to study the science, you'll find out that global warming is a political Ponzi scheme 
And one of the men that has benefited in the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars is Al Gore. Follow the dollar sign. You'll find out why he believes in global warming. Made him a lot, a lot of money. By the way, he hasn't given up his personal jet. Nuts. How about the people who believe that communism would save the world? How many mass graves are full of the remnants of their work to remold mankind? How many horror stories could people who are standing here or sitting here right in this room share with us of the oppression of communism as they lived under it? And now they get to live under freedom here. How many of you remember the terrors of September 11th when 17 or 19 men, 19 men gave their lives for their purpose. And by the way, only three or four of those men actually knew they were going to die that day. The rest of them had been tricked into it. They don't put that stuff in the, in the newspapers. They gave their lives for a purpose. To murder innocent people. My purpose is to live for Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll let him take care of the world he created. By the way, he does a lot better job than the scientists do. Amen. We could go through all kinds of stories of scientists who have done things, additives to gasoline that were supposed to make it burn pure and cleaner and all of this have put people in the graveyard because of poisoning water systems and all kinds of things. like. I mean, the stories are, are multitude. I'm not trying to save the world. I just want to live for Christ. And every person that gets saved, I'm going to see him in etern- for all eternity in heaven. Amen? What a purpose. I don't have to live for myself anymore. I can live for Jesus. The Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we won't take time to turn there this morning, says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. How many of you know what that's in reference to? It's in reference to the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were able to take a few minutes and stop and see Mrs. Elaine Wilson, the widow of Dr. Art Wilson, spend a few moments in her home. She's 93 years old. And still lives on her own. And uh, we, we were able to talk with her uh, just a little bit of time. We spent probably an hour there. And she kept saying over and over again, Art and I prayed for years that God had let us go up in the rapture together. She said, you know what? It could still happen. He's got six foot more to go than I do. And, and so we can catch up and we can go to, to heaven together. She said, I don't want to go through the ground. She said, I want to be alive when Jesus comes back, and I believe I'm going to be. I have no, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with Mrs. Wilson. I believe Jesus is coming back. And you know what? That gives me greater encouragement, greater hope than change on Tuesday. That gives me greater encouragement, greater hope. Somebody, uh, Joseph from downstairs, handed me a, a letter from the office of the President of the United States. He declared today, as uh, 
a, uh, let me find the paper here, uh, Sanctity of Human Life Day. And that's a wonderful thing. All human life is valuable. But in light of what our coming president has promised to do, this paper is worthless. He has promised to make abortion available to every American. Those are some of the things that he has promised to do. He has voted every time he had an opportunity to vote against protecting or even giving aid and comfort to a baby who survives a botched abortion. He believes in the murder of children who can be born alive. They call it partial birth abortion. Even our wonderful drunken Senator Patrick Moynihan from New York called partial birth abortion infanticide. He was at least an intelligent man in spite of all of his problems. And our president-to-be has promised that that's, that procedure will be available to any American who wants it. Let me tell you, we live in dark days. If my hope were in Washington, D.C., I'd have no hope. My hope isn't in Washington, D.C. My hope's in Jesus Christ. My hope is in the fact that he's going to return. He's going to take me out of this mess. Amen? Don't worry about who Antichrist is. If you get saved, you're not going to be here to recognize him. Amen? Now, all of these things are what God gives us when he saves us. But yet, if I were to go down through the list, please don't raise your hands except in your heart right now. In fact, let's just bow our, hand, or bow our heads and just take a few moments here. This is the time we call the time of invitation. How many, how many here today would say, Pastor, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Jesus Christ has taken away my sins. I've given my life to him. And I'd like to just lift up a hand as a testimony of that fact. If you just do that right now where you're sitting, just lift up your hand as a testimony. I know I'm saved. All over the auditorium this morning. Just lift it up for a moment. Thank you. you may put them down. Now don't raise your hands except in your heart between you and God today? How many of you are dealing with guilt in your life over things that you have done or things that others have done to you? God saved us from that. There's a place here called the altar that you can come and you can kneel and pray. How many of you have been exercising the privilege of prayer or you've been trying to figure things out on your own? There's a place called an altar where you can come down and confess that sin and ask God to help you come to Him instead of trying to solve it yourself. Maybe there's someone here that church has become a burden. It's a privilege that few people have enjoyed in the history of mankind to have the freedom of assembly together as a local church serving God and helping one another. There's a place where you can...
come and talk to God about that thing. How many of you have been worried so much about your treasures here on earth that you've not been, not been thinking about what's laid up in the heaven? God's given us an investment plan that the world cannot even comprehend. How about purpose? Has life just gotten weary and struggle for you? There's a real purpose each and every day to serve the living God. Christian, have you lost sight of the return of our Lord? That's where our hope is. There's an altar down here where you can come and ask God to restore that hope and that joy. These are the things He's given us to live in each and every day. One last. If you're here today and you're not saved, you do not know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. I'd ask you while others come and pray to just get my attention. We'll have someone take the Bible. Open it up and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. I don't know why anyone wouldn't get saved. It's the most wonderful thing in this world. But you do have to give up yourself and everything that's important to you. But what you get is so much more. I would just plead with you, would you be saved today? You need to talk to God directly. We'd be glad to help you understand what the Bible is and show you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. We're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. As we sing that song, you can step out and come down if you need to pray. If you need to be saved. As I said, just get my attention as you come down. We'll have someone take the Bible and show you how you may be saved. Dear Heavenly Father, you saw the hands that were raised in the hearts. Lord, I'm glad I don't have to see them to know and to understand everything that's going on. Lord, in a few moments we're going to have a time of prayer, and we ask that each one here would say, boy, I'm struggling with this, or I'm struggling with that. Lord, I pray that we would enjoy the blessings of our salvation each and every day. Lord, I pray for those that sit in this room and are unsaved, that today would be the day they would surrender their heart and life to you and just trust in you and you alone to take them to heaven. Lord, we, we want this because we want them to enjoy the great blessings that you have for those who are saved. We ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.